I titled my sermon today, Beholding Jesus. And what I'd like to do is something a little different. I've actually never tried this before. I want to preach an entire sermon limiting myself to verses and only the verses that contain the word behold. This, is my, this was my challenge, my assignment this, this week is I want to present to you this Jesus by skimming across the kind of, kind of skipping a stone through the New Testament and seeing all that, that is true of him. Now, not all, there's, there's so much more, but uh, in these verses that contain this word behold, uh, we're going to learn about this, this baby Jesus who was born. And uh, so beholding Jesus is where we're going to be today. Luke 2 is one of our main passages, but there are many. So uh, if you're going to try to keep up with me in pages, you're going to get a good workout today. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't try it. Um, just get, get ready, okay? It's going to be fun. So let me begin by explaining what this word is. The word behold is the Greek word idu. Let's say idu on three. One, two, three. Idu. Yes, idu. You do. It's a great word. It comes with force. It comes with, with an attention-grabbing declaration. It, it is um, translated, behold, or see, look. Uh, don't miss this. Pay attention. I'm about to say something really, really important, and you need to lock eyes with it. Listen up. Don't be distracted and focus. So an entire word uh, an entire sermon built around this word, edu, behold. I was initially planning to do the, the Hebrew word and track through all of your Bible in the Old Testament as well, but I figured you had plans for the rest of this day. <laughs> so we're just doing the New Testament today. Ten, ten beholds of our Messiah Jesus. Number one, miraculous conception. On the back of your bulletin, you'll find some sermon notes where you can kind of track along and, and write these down. This is really a, a spectacular overview of the life and ministry of Jesus. So you want to catch these words, miraculous conception, miraculous conception. Listen to how this goes. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. Behold, edu, you will conceive in your womb, the angel says to Mary, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of David his father, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for a few days? No, forever, forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What a proclamation to a teenage Jewish girl who was not yet married, just betrothed, engaged, as it were, to a man named Joseph. And the angel comes to her and says, you're going to be pregnant. Now, just imagine the scandal that this would have been. This is, this is challenging in the day. Mary rejoiced, but at first she was confused. How can this be, right? I, I don't understand. We'll see more about that in a, in a little bit. But this conception, it's, we, sometimes we talk about it as the virgin birth. It's really the virgin conception that makes it unlike any other childbirth that the world has ever known. Mary is, is implanted the seed of the Savior in her womb. And God overshadows her, the Holy Spirit overshadows, and here all of a sudden now she is pregnant. And this broke out like a big scandal. 
They thought, oh, okay, we know what's going on. But Joseph and Mary both, they understood. This was the God-man Jesus Christ, and she understood because she had studied her Old Testament. She knew what this meant. This is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the one to whom the anticipation was focused all the way through. Every Old Testament passage, every birth of every male child in a Jewish home came with the question, could this be the one? Could it be this one who will save us from our sins? And now Mary knows from the angel himself. Number two, humble celebration. So miraculous conception and then humble celebration. The story of the birth of Christ is spectacular, and every little detail counts. It's all ordained by God. It's been planned of old from before let there be light, right? From before creation. This was planned to the T, every single little aspect of it. And it declares something amazing. It's true about our Savior, this baby born. The angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. That's huge. On earth, peace, not hostility, not enmity, peace, peace with God through Jesus Christ, peace with those whom he is pleased. The angels come and proclaim announcement to who? This is significant. To shepherds in the fields, keeping their flocks. These were the the least esteemed of the society, the lowest of the low, the least trustworthy. If you were going to tell anyone that Jesus was born and have a credible witness, the last people you would go to is the shepherds. That's a statement. A statement. The only people invited to the birth of the King of Kings were the outcasts of society, the overlooked, the marginalized. He is a servant Savior. His arrival was marked by humility, every single aspect of it. He was born to poor parents. They couldn't afford a lamb. They had to purchase the turtle doves. So we we learn of, of the poverty of Jesus' parents. We also learn that there was no room in the inn, right? No room in Bethlehem, the city of David, where they had to travel 90 miles to get so that the place that Jesus was born was exactly as it was prophesied in the Old Testament. A lot of scholars believe the reason there is no room for them is because of the scandal of Mary's pregnancy during betrothal. And uh, so they were turned away, likely by their own family members, extended family in the line of David. He was born in what most, uh, most scholars would say, uh, not so much a barn, but a shepherd's cave. In Bethlehem, there's caves all around where the sheep would be kept and uh, that's likely where Jesus was born, among uh, the animals, in a, in a dark and dirty shepherd's cave. He was wrapped in swatting, swaddling cloths, not a, not a royal robe of purple, which is what he deserved. Statement. All of this is a statement. They laid him in a feed trough. That's what the manger is. This, isn't, this is not a crib. The babies don't lay in 
feed troughs typically, but that night it worked great. Likely made of stone and carved out where the animals would feed. Now Jesus, the God-man, is laid. Shepherds invited, angels rejoice. This is a humble celebration overlooked by most of the world and in the shadow of a king who thought of himself as most glorious and felt threatened by this this announcement of the king of kings. So much to say about the details of his birth. We go on from there as Jesus grew, wisdom and stature, obeying the Lord perfectly, never sinning. Divine confirmation, this was a moment, a significant moment in the life of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, immediately he, as he came up from the water, behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And here's the word, Edu, behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. Wouldn't it be amazing to hear the Father speak? I can't even do it justice. What would that sound like? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Divine confirmation. There was a lot taking place. John the Baptist was viewed as a prophet and understood to be sent by God, which he was. So he had prophetic authority that was being transferred to Jesus in that mikvah, in that baptism. It is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus needed to be baptized by John the Baptist because he was not only in his own authority, rightly there, but he had prophetic authority that was recognized as bestowed upon him by the prophet John. And then the heavens open up and the Father Himself speak, which means clearly and demonstrated in front of all of these people, He had divine authority. The Father bestows a blessing upon Jesus, His Son. Now, there's a lot happening in this. You think of this relationship of the Father and the Son. Don't think that when Jesus was born, that is when He began. No. The Son is eternally existing. As a member of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Self-existent, eternally existing, before anything was God. That's why in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. That's a story in itself. Who made God? No one. Everything that is, every location, every moment, everything is the work of His hands. How did He create Through His Son, the Word, as He spoke and it was. So, the Father's eternal pleasure in His Son is echoed in this baptism moment. This is my Son. It's not just the kind of pride that a father feels for a son. I see you, Son. I'm proud of you. No, it's far more than that. With whom I am well pleased. This also conveys how significant it was that Jesus was without sin. He never sinned. He never failed to uphold perfectly the law. He never, in the heart or in his mind, failed to do what was right or best in that moment. He never uh, thought anything less of the Father as was right and fitting. He was perfect in righteousness. Friends, that is significant because there's no one in this room that can say that's true of them. None of us are righteous. No, not one. 
all have turned aside. We are altogether worthless when it comes to righteousness left to ourselves. We bring nothing to the table but sin, rebellion. We fall short of the glory of God. The Father's pleasure is pronounced upon His Son at His baptism. Then, powerful demonstration. You can, you can add an S on this, right? It's because it's not just once. Powerful demonstrations. Jesus' ministry was marked over and over and over with demonstrations of His divine power and authority. Let me give you one moment of this uh, among so many. It's, it's hard to even pick and choose, but I found one with behold. All right? Listen to this one. As Jesus drew near the gate of the town, you might think this was random, but there's no randomness in God's world. There's no, this, this timing is perfect. He arrives just as he has planned, and this is how the story goes. He arrived near the gate of the town. Behold, he do. Listen, don't miss this. A man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother. What does that mean? It means that this woman, who, by the way, she was a widow. So her husband has died, and in a Jewish home, agricultural society, if your husband dies, you are completely reliant upon your sons. She has only one son, and now he's dead. What does that mean for this woman? She is destitute, and she is basically bound for begging the rest of her life. She is totally dependent considerable crowd from the town was with her. They were mourning, they were grieving this loss, especially so because of all she had lost. When the Lord saw her, her, note this, he sees the dead son, okay? But, but notice what happens when he sees the mom, the widow, the mother of this dead child. He had spotchna, compassion, Splunkna is the, is the word. Compassion. It's deep, um, a deep compassion. It's deep inside. And he said to her, do not weep. Now, this isn't scolding. This isn't Jesus looking down upon her for her grief. It's Jesus pronouncing, there's a reason that you don't have to weep. I'm about to show you something no one else can do. He came up and he touched the, the beer, the, 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 the casket kind of thing that they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. And he says, he says to the dead man, okay, he's, now Jesus is speaking to a dead kid. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. I, and I picture him up on their shoulders. He sits up, Jesus picks him up, brings him over. And hands him to his mom. Now, that's a behold moment that you don't forget. Who does this? Who says to dead things, dead people, arise? Who can give life where there's only death? Jesus. Jesus. And he does the same today. He does the same today, the world over. He's already saving today. Just think, the church that is gathered in worship already around the world, has witnessed and seen the powerful resurrection of spiritually lifeless people when Christ arrives in power and through His Spirit, dead men and women 
are made to live. One of the things I love about Jesus is the display that we see both of his heart and his power. This is a coming together of compassion with ability. He isn't just a Savior who's like, oh, I just wish I could save you guys. I wish I could do something to help. But he can't. He's also not a Savior who's just like, stop crying. You know? Like, I got the power. Just be quiet. You know? He is not cold and distant and raw power. He is the perfect expression of love and power. Ability. He brings it together in a glorious display over and over and over throughout his ministry. This is your Savior, Jesus. Number five, magnificent transfiguration. Not transformation, transfiguration. This is a moment that Peter, James, and John never forgot. It echoes in their ministries as they write. Listen to how this goes down. Matthew records this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, we can't quite fathom what this would have been like. It's hard to imagine. This is the man that they are following. This is the the rabbi, as it were, who's been teaching them and leading them and demonstrating the power of God. And, and now, they're on this mountain, and all of a sudden they're like, he doesn't just know God. He doesn't just have the power of God. He is God. He is God. And his glory is glimpsed. It's, it's, a, it's a glimpse of his glory. But it's like the veil is pulled back. All of a sudden they can see, they see him glorified. And then this happens. And Idu, behold! There appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with him, with Jesus. Okay? And I always, I'm like, how did they know it was Moses? How did they know it was Elijah? I don't know. Maybe Elijah rode down on a fiery chariot, jumped out. He's like, what's up? I'm back. I don't know. Maybe Moses came in with the staff or with the tablets. I, I, who knows? However it was that they, they knew, they knew who it was. Maybe Jesus told them. Uh, But there they are, and they're conversing. Now, this is significant. Moses is the representative of all of the law. The law of God, given and set out of his revelation of himself and his expectation for our holiness, which we all fail to meet. But Jesus meets it perfectly. He's satisfied, fulfilled. He fulfilled the law. So everything that Moses represents points to Jesus. And then Elijah comes down, and here he is. He is a representative of all the prophets. And all of their anticipation, all that they spoke about, ultimately pointed to who? Jesus. So the law and the prophets come together as they converse and talk with the Savior of the world, the God-man, Jesus Christ. The one who is truly God and man. Both fully God and man. Amazing. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, how do we see God? The answer is, look to Jesus. If you want to see God, you can indeed. 
Look at the face of Christ. That is where we behold. That's where we do the glory of God. Hmm. Now, loving redemption. Loving redemption. The purpose of the birth of Christ. We've got to always remember that. Christmas is not just about the manger and the, and the shepherds and, you know, all of this stuff, the, the nativity. Christmas always has, has a connection to the cross. That's why I love this, this, this imagery here of the manger at the foot of the cross. Why was this baby born? To die. That's why. To live holiness, in perfect holiness and then to lay down his life. Listen to this verse. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, He do! Everybody would have stopped at this point, right? Because John is the prophet. John is the teacher. They're all gathering there to be baptized by John. And then John grabs everyone's attention. Look, don't miss this. Everyone listen. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all eyes turn to Jesus. That's his ministry. That's why he did what he did. His entire purpose for his life and his work was to point people to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Oh, that language captures so much. We went through Leviticus a couple years ago. And all of the sacrificial system that was ordained by God, all of that was about who? about Jesus. Every single lamb without blemish that was slaughtered to atone or cover for the sins of those who were sacrificing, every single lamb pointed to Jesus. He is the lamb, the lamb, and note this, of God. That jumped out to me this week as I sat in this verse. Behold the lamb of God. God has supplied the sacrifice that is needed. What we could only do that that would cover our sins and then have to be repeated over and over because we continue to sin. God says, I will provide the lamb. It points us to the story of of, uh, Abraham and Isaac and uh, all that took place there. He calls him to sacrifice his son, his only son, right? The son of the promise. Abraham puts his son up on the altar. His son willingly obeys. Could have easily whipped his dad at that point. Um, he, He is bound on the altar. And the knife is in the air. And he's about to sacrifice his son thinking, if I kill this son of the promise, God must raise him from the dead. Right. Absolutely right. And as the knife is at its pinnacle and he's about to drop it, stop! The Lord will provide the sacrifice. You see the pointer? That was about Jesus. He is the Lamb sent by God to be sacrificed in our place. The cross that we deserve because of our sins, Jesus takes. Hmm. The cross of Christ displays both the wrath of God and the love of God. Don't ever doubt either one. If we ever think too little of our sins, consider the cross, friends. Oh, sin is not that big a deal. I mean, is God that worried about this or that? It's just a little thing here, a little thing. No. How big a deal is sin to God? Look to the cross. Why did Jesus 
suffer and die in the way that he did? Because of sin. My sin held him there. My sin. And at the same time, love. It's love. Why is he there? Willingly so. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I am here. This is my mission. I will come. I will obey. And then I will die. Love. It's the love of God that sets on display in the cross of Christ. So the Christmas story is a story of love. It is also a story of wrath being set upon the Son to propitiate, to satisfy the anger and justice of a, of a holy God who we have sinned against, friends. Every one of us in this room is a rebel at heart. We are born sinners, and we confirm this by our own instinct against the Lord. We worship ourselves. We make much of wimpy little things. And if left to ourselves, we will run with all our might to the fires of hell. We declare, I am sovereign. I will be God. I don't want anyone telling me how to live my life. I don't want anyone constraining my freedom. And we are in that slaves to our own failures and sins. Storing up wrath. God shows his love. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here we are running, rebelling, straining against the yoke. No, I want my own way. And he says, you don't deserve this salvation, and I'm going to show you my love. Even though you deserve wrath and hell forever, which is true for all of us here, he says, I'm going to send my son, and I am going to love you. I, I am going to love you, and I am going to save you. Praise God. The cross of Christ. Edu, Jesus says, Matthew 20, 18 and 19. We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, he's referring to himself with the prophetic uh, title that we saw in the book of Daniel. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests. He lays it out in perfect detail. Delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, that is the Romans, to mock and scourge and crucify him. And then he says this, and on the third day, he will be raised up. Jesus, more than once, at least twice, maybe three times, lays out for his disciples exactly what's going to happen on his way up to Jerusalem. He tells them, and, and they're walking along, and they're like, yeah, 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 but who's going to sit on your right like, can we have the position of prominence when you come in your kingdom? We're, we're worrying about rank here. Stop talking about dying and raising. We don't know what that means. But we want to know where we're going to be in your kingdom. They miss it. And so would have, we would have missed it as well. Who, who saves by dying? That's not the kind of savior we tend to think of. That's the point. That's exactly what God would do. He gives his son to die so that we who are dead might be made to live, forgiven and raised up because of the son's victory. On the third day, he will be raised up. That brings us to number seven, a triumphant resurrection. Triumphant resurrection. Every time we're in the Christmas story, you've got to see the whole view, right? 
Every other religion in the world, every single one, has a dead Savior. But we don't. We don't have a dead Savior. He's not six feet in the ground. We don't just look back. We look up. He lives. Listen to this. He do. There was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. This angel's appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. That would have been a moment. These fearsome guards stationed to keep anyone from messing with the tomb, right? They're there and they see this angel and they go catatonic. They're absolutely like a fetal position. Ah, scared to death. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. There's no need for you to fear. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. That is, he's dead. He was dead. He's not just mostly dead, right? This was, he was crucified, killed. He sits on the stone. You could just see this, this unfolding, this warrior, strong angel sitting on the throne. He's like, or on the stone. You see, he's not here. For he has risen, as he said, right? He's, he told you he was going to do this. And then it's like things begin to fall into place. Oh, yeah, he did. He said it multiple times. On the third day, the Son of Man will be raised. Come and see the place where he lay. So the angel encourages him, come in. It's empty. He's not here. What a victory that was. Jesus says in Revelation 1, 17b and 18, Fear not, same words, encouragement here. I am, oh, the echo of the burning bush and all of that Old Testament fulfillment. I am the first and the last, the living one. Yes. I died, and he do. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. If you want victory over death, there is only one place to come, Jesus Christ. If you want escape from the wrath of God and the fires of eternal hell, which we will for certain, endure. There is only one person to run to, and his name is Jesus. You can't, you can't overcome your death. That is that enemy that you can't... The, the richest man in the world trying to make himself live free, he's going to die. All men die. Why? Because all men sin. We die at the hand of a God who is righteous and holy. Death is His pronouncement of judgment upon us. But that's not the end, is it? That is where judgment begins to unleash in the fires of hell. And so, the only hope to escape that imminent judgment is to go to the one who has the keys. And His name is Jesus. He is the victor. He is our living hope. He is not just a past memory, a Savior who was wonderful at this point and now died and we look back and we look, oh, that was great, but what about today? What about tomorrow? No, He is today and He is tomorrow, alive. Number eight, global commission. 
Global Commission, one of the reasons we're here today, right? One of the reasons this building exists, this church is here, is because of what Jesus said in this passage. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples, not just converts. Don't just see people converted. Raise them up. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them the Word of God. Teach them to obey, to observe all that I have commanded you. And then here comes the idu. And behold, listen, don't forget this, don't miss this, pay attention. I am with you always, always, to the end of the age. Our Savior does not leave us as orphans. He sends the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to not just be around us, but to indwell us, to be in us, to open our eyes to the glory of Christ, to refine our lives to the image of Christ, and to keep us until the day when He returns to the end of the age. This is a mission that we have, and friends, it is good news to the ends of the earth. There is no nation where this is not good news. You know that. There is no people group. There is no tribe. There's no zip code where we go and we're like, we've got good news everywhere else, but I don't know about here. No, it's good news here today, which means it's good news for you, every single one of you. Wherever you're at today, I have good news for you. There is a Savior who died such that all sinners who look to Him in faith can and will be forgiven. That's amazing news. It is the good news that we cherish, that we cling to with everything that we are. It's not enough just to have a form of religion. You have to have a message. You can't just come to church and stand and sit and do this and that and traditions and fling holy water here or there. None of that means a thing if you don't have a message. The message is, there is hope for sinners like you and me. And His name is Jesus. He is the only way. He is the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. It's good news today, friends. No matter where you're at, what situation you find yourself in, what sins you've committed in your past, I've got great news for you. You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. His glorious ascension... Oftentimes, this gets overlooked. This is significant. The ascension of this Christ child who grew up and accomplished his work and then returned to glory. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. <laughs> okay, that would be weird. Be like, um, so... Um, that happened. Like, he just, he just, that would be what I would be. I'm like, what do we do? What's going on? Is he going to come back? Yes. Listen to what the angels said. As they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, he do. Listen, don't miss this. There's a moment here. This is just happening. The angel, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And honestly, I don't think these are condemning words. These are motivation words. Because we would all just be like, 
I, I can't see him. You know, like. Then they say this, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he returned to his Father. Right? He, he returned home in that sense. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming again. He's coming again. But there's work to do, right? He just gave you the assignment. And that work reaches to the ends of the earth. So get to work, basically. Get to work. He's coming again, just as you saw him go into heaven. Which leads us to number 10, joyful anticipation. The king is going to return. And the return of the king will be unbelievable joy and bliss for those who know him as Savior and Lord. Listen to Revelation 21, 3-5. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Edu, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Emmanuel. God with us. This is our destiny, believers. He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. This is the overturning of all of what happened in Genesis 3. When the man and the woman were booted out of the garden because of sin. Now, a restoration is coming. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and the death shall be no more, neither shall, be, shall there be mourning or crying or pain. Who longs for that today? The situations we find ourselves in, the ailments we battle. I sat with someone this week, so many, just as she listed all of the struggles physical, just frailties of her body. I couldn't help but think of the day when she will skip with total strength and run and jump. The former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Edu, behold, I am making all things new. A new heaven, a new earth. It's going to be spectacular, my friends. And it never ends. There's no sin, there's no darkness, there's no fear. Perfect love for all who know Christ as Savior and Lord. That is the destiny, that is the future. Hmm. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to God and uh, to, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That's to Jesus Christ. And then John says this Edu, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes will wail on account of him. What does that mean? It means the result is going to be mixed. For those who long for his return, who want to see him, who love him as Savior and Lord, and treasure him as the most valuable gift ever given, it will be joy. But for all unbelievers, those who continue and say, I would rather live in the dark and cherish my sin. I want my will, my way. They will dread the day of his return. It will be utter fear. And it will be destruction. Revelation 19 details that. Even so, amen. Let it be. So be it. Is what amen means. 
Even so, come. And then Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. Wow. This is our God. A survey of the baby Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, a no-name town in a tiny little place with shepherds invited to celebrate his birth. This, my friends, is the King of Kings. Now, he came in a manger when he first arrived on this earth, but when he returns, he's coming with strength. He's going to ride a war horse, and he is going to tread down the nations those who rebel against and disobey him and, and don't believe or trust in him, they will die. So I want to encourage you today. Make sure you are where you need to be with this king, this Jesus, this Savior. Where do you stand with him? Because the, the question of whether he will reign forever and ever is not in doubt. He reigns today. He reigns. And someday, when he returns, he is going to establish his kingdom on this earth with an iron fist in perfect righteousness. There is hope for sinners like you and me. And the hope is, embrace the king, bow before him, kiss the son, as it says in Psalm 2, lest he be angry and you perish in your sins. Repent and run to him with all your might. Trust Him as Savior and Lord, and you will know Him as the treasure of all treasures. You will rejoice at His return. There's no fear. Only rejoicing. Our response this morning, thinking about these things, this, this, this concept of beholding Jesus. You know, I was thinking how easy it is to go through Christmas um, or just even like in a, in a moment where lots going on, you, you know, you're busy, you're working, you're doing stuff, and hey, okay, glad you're here, Christmas, okay, family, come on in, let's Christmas, do this, that. Make sure that this Christmas you stop and lock eyes with Him. You, you can be busy doing Christmas things and not really engage the Jesus we celebrate. Stop and behold Him. Stop and lock eyes with Him. Ask yourself, do I really trust Him with all my soul? Am I banking my entire eternity on Him alone? Or am I trying to be good enough on my own? Listen, no one can jump across the Grand Canyon. You can't do it. No matter how good you think you are, you will perish in that fall. Only Jesus can bridge that gap. Only Jesus, in His perfect righteousness and His atoning death, can bring you to the Father. Are you beholding Jesus today? My prayer is that this gives you a glimpse of both the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is no more important reality this weekend than Jesus. And there will not be any more important reality for all of eternity than Jesus Christ. Are you beholding Jesus? I know many of you are. It's like you can almost see the light in your eyes, the joy in your face, the, the, the life in your soul. 
Oh, how wonderful it is to walk with this Jesus and to know him as Savior and Lord and treasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know every single person here today. You know them better than they know themselves. Lord, you know our sin. You know our propensity to self, our inclination to trite and passing, fading little things, to give worship and to lock on to things and, 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 and live for things that are fleeting and fading. Father, you know our propensity to idolize what we see in the mirror when we hold it up in front of us, to, to make much of of ourselves and make little of you, to, to want our way and to deny your call for obedience and surrender. Father, I thank you that you love us in spite of all of this. You know us thoroughly, and yet you don't just throw us under your wrath. You provide a way for us to be saved. You have, you have given so much in the sending of your Son. We delight in you and we say thank you. We embrace the Son, our Savior today, with faith and repentance. I pray if there's anyone here who has never yet turned from their sins to trust Jesus, Lord, stir in them eyes to see Him today and a heart to turn away from darkness and death and hell, to, to run to you and bow before this King to embrace Him as Savior and treasure and Lord. Oh, Lord, saved, we pray today. For those of us who do know You in this way, we delight in You, Jesus. We thank You. We make much of You. We glorify You this weekend and every day for all of eternity for the accomplishments and the glory that is Yours, that You deserve. We ascribe it to You. Be glorified both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.